Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. (laughs) Or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. Greetings, listeners. You're listening to Movie Oubliette, the globe-encompassing movie review podcast with me, Dan. Not knowing what all the buttons and knobs do on my new synthesizer down here in Melbourne, Australia. (laughs) And me, Conrad, baking chocolate bread in Cambridge, UK. Chocolate bread? What? Mm. (laughs) That sounds Mm. great. I know. In this podcast, we discuss long-lost fantastical films, horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. Because witches, demons, and swinging swords is the sort of thing we get up to after lunch. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Conrad. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm good. And you? Yes, not too bad. I'm very jealous of your new synthesizer. Yes, yes. So this was a recent purchase. I've got the ASM Hydrosynth, mm. uh, which was actually suggested and highly recommended by our guests on the podcast, uh, Lamatos. Oh, yes. So thank you for the recommendation. Mm. Have you mastered it yet or are you just staring at the knobs scared? I, I've turned it on <laughs> and I've pushed some buttons <laughs> and I've realised okay. I have no idea how to use it. So. <laughs> Watching a lot of YouTube videos. Okay. Well, that's always fun. It's a journey of discovery. I like that. Yes. Yes. Lots of confusion, actually. And a lot of <laughs> questioning my intelligence as well. <laughs> so. No. But, I mean, that's what YouTube videos are for. Mm. It means someone can tell me how to use it and show me. Yeah. I'm the same. So my uh, chocolate bread. I saw the recipe. One of our friends, actually, Debbie, oh. posted it on Facebook and it looked really yummy. So yeah, I was following the recipe to the letter and I'm just hoping the damn thing rises because <laughs> I've not done bread with active yeast before. Oh. So it should be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I shall look forward to seeing if mine turns out or whether I've just got this chocolate log <laughs> mm. <laughs> that I'm chewing. Still sounds tasty. <laughs> it does. Does. Any tasty treats in our mailbag, Conrad? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So on a perfect murder, Laura said, truly have not thought about this movie since 2002 when I watched it repeatedly during my phase of watching the entire filmographies of every Lord of the Rings actor. Oh, oh. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's commitment dedication it is yeah i can understand you doing it with vigo mortensen though because it's kind of interesting to trace him back from lord of the rings and suddenly discover him in all these movies yeah his roles are really interesting as well yeah he doesn't stick to one sort of typecast no i really loved him in history of violence yes yeah yeah kind of a strange movie strange and also oh yeah that's right eastern promises He's fantastic yes. in that. Yeah, I always forget that he was in Witness in 1985. So, Oh, the one with Harrison Ford. Yeah, I, I, know. I, I always completely that forget. In high school, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And the first oh. time I remember recognising him was Crimson Tide. Right. The submarine movie. So, yeah, he does pop up here and there in some interesting places. So it's quite fun to go through his back catalogue. Mm. Also, one of the social media posts that I did to promote A Perfect Murder, I took a clip of Joe talking about the bathroom scene and how he likes to take a bath, and I superimposed his face <laughs> yeah. over Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> Which he retweeted saying, this is horrifying. What a couple of bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and Corey Hotzenpiller replied, I'd be mad too. You've got 9.765% more range than Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely precise. Yeah, it really is. And, of course, we heard from Surge of Cold Crash Pictures. Oh, Hello, Surge. Surge. He said, A Perfect Murder is one of those films where I can write down more things I didn't like about it than things I did, but I still think it's a fun little thriller that's up to his eyeballs in late 90s genre conventions that makes a good time out of knowing exactly what it is. Movie Oubliette just reviewed this one, and it's another instance of me agreeing with all of their criticisms – but then I'd vote the other way in the final verdict. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So despite all of his shortcomings, he still agreed with it. Well, Conrad, uh, Serge might be in for a treat then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he could well be. So what is it we're doing today, Dan? Well, I mean, speaking of Serge, this was chosen by Search himself. It was. It's, uh, it's one of our patrons' choice. Mm. Yes, better go and find out what it is. Ah, yes. Back in a minute. <clears throat> oh, I'm in some sort of monastery. There's monks. Mm. Dead monks, though. Oh, yeah, they smell a bit, too. And a book. Some pretty good reading. I uh, might read it later. <laughs> Exorcismus. <laughs> oh, no. Wolves. Quick, come back. Ah, here's the movie. <laughs> Oh, I'm back. It gets weirder in there every time. So what do you have for us? I don't. <laughs> well, today we are going to be doing 2011's Season of the Witch. Mm. It's directed by Dominic Cena uh -huh. of uh, Swordfish Gone in 60 Seconds fame. Oh, my. And it stars the incomparable Nicolas Cage. Oh, wow. Ron Perlman. <laughs> Claire Foy, Ooh. Robert Sheehan, mm. Stephen Campbell Moore, Stephen Graham, Ulrich Thompson, and the most renowned Christopher Lee. Wow, that's a lineup. So, what are they up to? Set in 14th century Europe during the Black Plague, Americans Bayman and Felsen are two <laughs> deserting holy knights disillusioned by the atrocities of the Crusades. A month later, are tasked with escorting a girl, the alleged creator of the plague, to stand trial for witchcraft at Severac, accompanied by a grieving knight, altar boy, street swindler, and priest. They are thwart with your usual perils of adventure, wolves, rickety bridges, but is the girl <laughs> actually a witch? Maybe mm. she'll sprout wings and bring back a horde of zombie monks. Well... <laughs> We will find out. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> yes. Can't wait. Yeah. Okay, Conrad. 
season of The Witch. Indeed. Not Halloween 3. No. Sadly. This is a Sorcerer in Stone fantasy horror, almost. Yeah. With Nicolas Cage and Ron Perlman. Mm. Just being Nicolas Cage and Ron Perlman, like, they don't look the part or act the part. It's very strange. It really is an odd movie. I had not seen this one before. Right. And was completely unaware of its existence. (laughs) Yes, well, uh, Serge has brought this up from the depths of the Oubliette. Mm. I had seen this movie before. And I don't really remember it, even though I saw it like not long ago. And watching it again, yeah, not a lot happens in this movie. No, it's only an hour and a half. Mm. And you'd think it was a pretty lavish production. Um, I think it cost 40 million to make. So I guess that's sort of mid budget. But there's a lot of location shooting in Austria and Hungary and Croatia. They're up in the Alps. Yeah, so you'd think that you'd get more of a sense of having gone on quite a quest and quite a journey, uh, but it sort of flies by and, yeah, not much happens. Really. Yeah, <laughs> I really appreciated the location filming, mm. like filming on location in these majestic landscapes. Yeah. Amazing. But then it'll cut to a battle scene Mm. that just looks like the worst green screen ever. (laughs) And I just don't understand. They should have just cut all that stuff out. The green screen ruins this movie. It really does. Now, and I think this is uh, to do with the production history of the film. So it spent a long time in development hell. It was based on a spec script by a guy called Braggy Schutt who is still working. In fact, recently he wrote Escape Room, right? the little horror quickie that came out in 2019. Ah. So it was shot in 2009, slated for release in March 2010, but then went through extensive reshoots in September of 2010 that were directed by an uncredited Brett Ratner. Now, if you know Brett Ratner's oeuvre... The Rush Hour movies. Oh, and and the X-Men. <laughs> yeah, The Last Stand, yeah, so the real cream of the crop, yeah. Yes, and he did Red Dragon as well, though. <laughs> he did, yes. I liked it. I know, I have a guilty secret about that. So that particular book, the Hannibal Lecter story, yes. has been adapted a couple of times, once by Michael Mann, the great Michael Mann, as Manhunter. Oh, yes, I've heard about this. I haven't seen it, but yes. Yeah, we're a highly revered movie. And then there's the trashy version that was done later on with Anthony Hopkins in, because Anthony wasn't in the original um, Manhunter. Mm-hmm. I actually prefer that version. I know that you're not supposed to, but I do. I haven't seen the original, <laughs> so I haven't got a comparison, but I, I did like Red Dragon when it came out. Yeah. I do have to say... That Brett Ratner's films are tarred mm. by all of the sexual allegations against him. Yes, he's been thoroughly me tooed and hasn't made a film since Hercules in 2014. So, right, yes. I think his career is probably over. But <laughs> he did do extensive uncredited reshoots on this movie after the producers watched it. And I don't know, that wasn't sort of actiony enough or exciting enough. So uh, after all of this beautiful location photography, 
in Austria and Hungary and Croatia in the Alps, all of a sudden they're just in front of a green screen in Louisiana hacking swords at each other. Terrible. And I did laugh during those crusade scenes because it's quite clearly using the same technology as Lord of the Rings, but I think Lord of the Rings did it a lot better where you have small group of people in the foreground oh, yes. and massive army behind them that's clearly fake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which made me giggle. And then you cut to the close-ups of them actually fighting it. It's like 12 people. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so the, and then the movie was just sort of dumped on the market in January 2011 where it placed third in the box office behind True Grit and Little Fockers and then vanished without a trace after generating about 90 million worldwide. Not great. No, didn't have a great run in its original release. Yeah, because all of that reshoot stuff, so all the reshoots were all the green screen. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. they ruined yeah. the movie for me. If they really do. <laughs> if they'd cut all of those scenes and just referred to these crusades in dialogue, mm. it would have been better. And we could have just not had that yeah. to witness because... They seem like another movie. Yeah. They almost seem like TV movie quality compared to the epic scenery of the rest of the film. Yeah, which feels like a real gritty thing that's taking place in a real place. Yeah, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings versus The Hobbit, I think. Uh, so yeah. Whereas Lord of the Rings looks like an epic journey in a real location, The Hobbit looks like a bunch of people with a fan on them in green screen. It's yeah. just completely yeah. airless and, and unbelievable. And there's no blood <laughs> And yeah. yeah, just the worst. I, I did find this movie was almost trying to do two things, but not really successfully doing either of them. Mm. So movies like this, they're never taken seriously. Mm. These kind of action adventure movies set in some medieval time or fantasy land. I'm thinking of movies like Van Helsing oh, yeah. or Hansel and Gretel. Witch Hunter or um, <laughs> League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, sort of like a, oh God. <laughs> an older time. But trying to do the action genre, mm. it's kind of a lose situation to start off with because no one's going to take it seriously unless it's some epic like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But with this movie, if they were going to do that, have some more action, but not like terrible green screen action, but like some decent action because a lot of the scenes that were action-y you couldn't see anything. No. It was so dark. Well, yeah, and apart from the cinematography, which, I mean, it's colour graded to death, but also the editing. I'm not sure if it's the editing or it's the directing. Maybe the footage wasn't there or maybe the editing was bad. I know it was re-edited by Brett Ratner's favourite editor, Mark Helfrich. Mm. I don't know. I just can't tell what's happening. So, for example, I couldn't either. there is a scene where Ron Perlman has a sword fight with Robert Sheehan's character. So the altar boy is trying to prove himself that he belongs on this quest. So the grizzled old crusader fights this young upstart. You have the same sort of Princess Bride thing where he says he's going to fight with his left hand only so that he gives him a bit of a chance and doesn't kill him mm -hmm. so yeah all very familiar but the actual fight itself i cannot tell what's happening i can't tell who's got the upper hand i can't tell who's in danger there's just lots of quick cuts of people moving around and swords swiping around and I just, I don't care. Yeah. And then it's over. Yeah. And, and that's <laughs> one of the scenes where you can actually see, mm. like see things. Because it's not nighttime, <laughs> it's a daytime scene. The night scenes. Yes. It's just 
blue blur. Yeah. Just you have no idea what's going on. No. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the footage was just too close up. Mm. So I mean it's a cheap way of doing an action scene or a fight scene, just lots of close ups and just quick edits. Yeah. Lots of shots of a character swinging a sword mm. and then a close up of a blade connecting with something. Who knows what? Yeah. Something. Someone who knows? And then someone falls over. <laughs> like even the scene where, spoilers here, where the zombie monks come mm. back to life and they're fighting them. You only know that they've sort of got the upper hand because there's these wispy effects come off when they cut their heads off. Oh, and that's the only yeah. way you know that they've defeated their foes because you have no idea what's going on. No. Another example of that, I think, is the scene where the witch escapes and they have to search this abandoned town for her. It's really dark. There are certain things that are supposed to make you jump, like somebody throws a plague-ridden body onto a cart, but I don't see who it is or which of our characters is nearby and, and who is threatened by this or anything, really. There's just no context. It's just, here's a shot of a dead body being thrown onto a cart, and now we cut to something else. So, yeah, it's it's really poorly edited. There's no tension. I can't see who is where in relation to anything else. I really struggled with it because there are various sequences in it where you thought, well, this is clearly supposed to be very exciting and full of tension, but it just doesn't work because of the way that it's shot, lit and edited. Yes. The best action scene mm -hmm. is the bridge crossing. Yes. Because you can see everything. Mm. No one swings swords around. Yeah. And it's just a situation <laughs> that they're trying to get out of. Every other action scene. And I have to say, there are only three things that happen in this movie before the final conclusion. Mm -hmm. Three things. <laughs> the girl escapes, the bridge crossing, and the wolf attack. Yes. That's, that's it. it. Yeah. And in two of those things... You cannot see what's going on. And often the end result is a bit like, oh, okay, they're moving on. Yeah. There are no consequences. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the story then. So the idea is that these two knights of the crusade who have deserted yes. because they've become so disillusioned with murdering women and children. Murdering men, particularly black people, fine. <laughs> but when they accidentally kill a woman, he's all cut up about that Nick Cage. So they run away, but then they, they end up having to take on this mission for the church because mm. when they return home, their land is beset with the Black Plague. Yes. It's all because of Claire Foy in a very early appearance. I think yeah. this is her film debut, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> so future Queen of England is accused of being a witch and uh, this <laughs> band of Dungeons and Dragons characters get together to take her from point A to point B to have a fair trial and if she is the witch they kill her and the plague stops or whatever. So this is my question. Are you supposed to be frightened of Claire Foy? Is it supposed to be an is she or isn't she kind of situation? Because to me, she starts off being sort of coy and sort of suggesting that the priest character played by Stephen Campbell Moore is 
interfering with her when nobody else is looking and she's actually this demure poor girl but then she kind of drops that halfway through and just keeps sneering and sniggering and toying with people you know saying to nick cage do you think i'm a witch and then the torch goes out and then it comes back on yeah she's the most obvious witch ever yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so throughout the entire movie you're never siding with her no and especially when she starts doing things that just make you think, she's definitely a witch. Yeah. When she starts gesturing when the wolves arrive and then suddenly they turn into these killer <laughs> demonic animals. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, hang on a second, I think she's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just slightly. Yeah, this is after she's howled to summon the wolves. Yeah. She just sort of smirks all the time, like during the bridge crossing where she rescues Robert Sheehan's character, Kai. She rescues him by sort of catching him with two fingers about the oh, wrist yeah, yeah. as though she's taking his pulse. And then when he looks up at her, she sneers at him yeah. like she's a cat and she's just toying with a mouse before she finally kills him. And you think, shouldn't she be like desperately clutching onto him with both arms and only just managing to pull him up so that she's, mm. you know, one, believable as a human being and two, generating some empathy yeah, and, yeah. you know, maybe setting Kai against the others because he has sympathy for her now. No, she's just going to sneer and sort of stare out from her bangs. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I felt like there wasn't enough screen time for Cleo Foy as well. Mm. Like there were just hardly any lines of dialogue for her and hardly any time for us to even try to believe mm. that she's not a witch. And so when she does turn into like some winged creature from hell you think well i expected that didn't i yeah well that's the thing so i mean supposedly i'm wrong to worry about all this business about her not even bothering to pretend that she's not a witch because it turns out that she isn't a witch spoilers twist she's actually a demon and she wanted them to think she was a witch so that they would take her to the abbey so she could destroy the MacGuffin that uh, is the only thing that could destroy the demon. Why the demon didn't just inhabit one of the monks and do it himself or herself, I do not know. Yeah. Uh, why didn't just fly there? Yeah. Got wings. Uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> get it. It's another Lord uh, of the Rings question. Mm, just fly yeah. there. <laughs> just fly, for goodness sake. It's quicker. Yeah, I don't know. But that's the twist. It was all a clever plan that she wasn't even trying to set people against each other, which would have been really interesting, like a burrowing into people and preying on their weaknesses. But there isn't really much of that because she's no. just sneering and howling yeah. like a wolf. And, or know. like very obvious sort of things as well. Like when she finds out that the soldier has lost a child, she kind of plays on that. But it's mm. so quick. There's no sort of toying with it. There's no digging at the sort of emotional wound. Mm. She manifests as his lost child and then he dies. Yeah, he runs into Robert Sheehan's sword accidentally. <laughs> it's, it's too quick. Like I felt like we were just getting to know these characters and then they just get killed off. Mm. Like there's no character depth at all or no sense of development i guess they tried with nicholas cage's character yeah. with him feeling the guilt of killing a woman but at the same time they didn't really try like i didn't find his character all that different to ron perlman's character no they were just too bitter hardened 
deserting soldiers. Yeah. You could have got rid of Ron Perlman's character and just had Nick Cage's character and it would have been the same movie. Pretty much. Although I did like their quips together. They were kind of funny. Yeah, they do have bants, don't they? I quite like the banter that they have between okay, them. Okay, I take it back. It's the only <laughs> thing that saved the movie, the bants. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, there are a few funny lines in there which we'll probably get to in the moves. But there isn't enough of it. Again, there just isn't enough between them. Yeah. And there's one moment where they're set against each other because Nick Cage has lost faith in the girl being innocent because she's like howling and drawing wolves and things. Mm. And so he resolves to kill her with a crossbow and Ron Perlman stands in his way. But they don't really get anywhere with that either. And then they join together at the end for the final battle against a green screen Mm. and a PlayStation 3 final boss that's not convincing in the slightest. Mm. I don't know, there's just not enough of a dynamic even between the members of the group. I mean, they're sort of mildly interesting characters, but we don't really see them interact or turn against against each other or I mean credit I suppose that the Catholic priest doesn't turn out to be evil yeah he's not corrupt or anything he's just trying to do his job I mean that doesn't give you much to enjoy in terms of drama yeah and and the fact that Kai is the remaining character at the end Mm. as well the only one that survives as well as Claire Foy's character yeah they don't develop his character enough so he's the end guy and you think oh okay I guess We're happy now? Yeah, I I guess we like him. Who is this kid? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he is the most sympathetic character you could have seen with a bit more screen time and a bit more development. Mm, We might have cared a little bit more, maybe. (laughs) I mean, he's a fabulous actor, though. Robert Sheehan. I know. He plays Klaus in Umbrella Academy. He was the Irish guy in Misfits. I don't know whether you've seen Misfits. No, I haven't. I fell in love with him as Klaus in the Umbrella Academy. He is so good in that. He's hilarious. In Misfits as well, he is the best character. And he's only in it for the first two seasons, and then he leaves. But he's amazing. And he's, yeah, completely underused in this movie. Indeed, yeah. I mean, he looks like a baby, though. This is 10 years ago. Oh, so yeah, yeah. He looks incredibly young and very sweet. And he is the most sympathetic character. I mean, probably the scene that resonates in any way is the scene where he is knighted by Nick Cage. I thought you needed a queen for that, but obviously it's a battlefield commission or something because <laughs> he just grabs his sword and just does it on the spot. And it's a bit pompous and silly, but he's really sweet in that scene. He's looks genuinely awed and touched that he's being recognised by these two grizzled veterans of war as a man who can hold his own sword, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're just not given enough. It's like 90 minutes and it's just like, yeah, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. And all of them badly edited. So you can't really get your teeth into any of them or care about any of the sequences at all. Yeah. And there's not even any really atrocious Nick Cage acting no. to sort of witness either. There's one scene where he almost goes full Nick Cage. Yes, Uh, sort of like a (laughs) semi-Nick Cage moment. (laughs) See if we've picked the same one. Yeah, it's when he's uh, trying to kill the girl. Yeah. Yeah. And he he has a bit of a shout. Yeah, he gets halfway through his line and then starts screaming out of nowhere. A benevolent god would not ask such things of men! (laughs) (laughs) And I was excited. I was like, oh, are we going to get more of this? But no, we don't. No, straight back in the box. (laughs) Now it's time for Random Trivia! 
So Dan, what fascinating tidbit of trivia have you discovered in the pages of the Key of Solomon for us today? Well, there's not a lot of trivia about this movie. It's uh, not very old. Mm. <laughs> but no. I did find out <laughs> that Claire Foy met mm-hmm. Stephen Campbell Moore on this movie. Oh, yeah. So he's an actor that plays De Balzac, the priest. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they got married. Ah. So she wasn't put off by the weird monk's haircut then. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's never a good monk's haircut. Um, they, <laughs> no. were, they were married three years later, but uh, they separated in 2018. Oh, okay. But, uh, you know, if anything came out of this movie, it was love. It was love, yes. I think they had a child as well, so there you go. That's one good thing that came out of this movie. Yeah. A young girl called Ivy Rose. Oh, that's a good name. It is. And that's our trivia. I was going to ask, what was the point in the opening scene? Yeah, I don't really know. I I wonder if that was part of the reshoots. It's one of those opening stinger, keep them interested scenes. So it's a bunch of completely unrelated characters, as far as I could tell. Completely unrelated. Yeah, three witches on a bridge. I mean, in terms of female representation, this film does not do well, let's be honest, because there are four women in the movie. The lead woman, played by Claire Foy, is credited as the girl, Mm. although apparently she does have a name at the end. It's Anna. She becomes the narrator. And uh, yeah, the three women introduced at the beginning are all on trial for being witches, so to speak. I mean, they just basically hang them off a bridge. But one of them is a classic old crone with milky eye who's just basically should wear a t-shirt that says I am a witch on it and and she is (laughs) then you've got one that looks like Susan Sarandon I don't know why she's there but they pitch her over the edge and she dies anyway and then you've got a lovely blonde lady who's begging for mercy saying that she's been falsely accused but lo and behold it actually turns out when the priest returns under cover of darkness later that night to complete the ceremony on his own. Clearly a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Pulls them out. And uh, yeah, the one that was the sweetest was actually the most evil. But yeah, it's got nothing to do with anything else. I don't even know why it's there. Yeah, because uh, time-wise <laughs> as well, they have these time titles that pop up, oh, yeah. letting us know what year it is. It's a 100 years before Nick Cage and Ron Perlman's character even exist. Right. So what is the point in the, the uh, wow. first scene. I did you... not realise that. That's a good catch. <laughs> I just don't understand. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that he has the Book of Solomon or whatever it was. Ah, the MacGuffin. And that was the only thing. Right. But he doesn't even talk about it. You just see it and then you don't reference it until the very last scene of this movie. So they could have taken that whole scene out. Yeah. One thing I did notice as well in that opening scene, did you see the Hound? The Hound? From Game of Thrones. I did not. Is he in there? Yeah. He's ah. a soldier. So when the priest says, oh, should we should pull the woman up to give last rites or whatever, yeah. uh, he's the soldier that says, oh, they're dead, aren't they? Yeah, can't be bothered. Dinner's yeah. ready. Yeah, that one line. <laughs> one line. And I was like, hang on, was that the Hound? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, go. is he going to be in this movie? No, that's the only scene he's in. No, well, I mean, he'd be over 100 if he were, so that would be very strange. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. So I have to mention his name is Rory McCann yeah. of Game of Thrones. Yeah. 
So yeah, odd little movie. And in terms of how it represents women, I mean, there are no women in our main band of characters. It's all men on this journey. And the one woman is suspected of being evil and the cause of a plague. And at the end of it, we find out, yes, yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. So women are evil, especially if they're beautiful. That's the message of the movie. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> <That's> nice. <laughs> I, I don't understand why they didn't play up the is she or isn't she mm. plot point. Like, they should have. They should have made her really, really innocent. And the fact that in, in the end she ends up being possessed. Like, why didn't they have that sort of turmoil of being possessed and not possessed and being good and then evil? Like, that's the whole point of sort of exorcism movies, mm. that dichotomy. Dichotomy? Is that what you would say? No, that's a great word. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, some inner turmoil, some drama, any drama, conflict of any kind really would have been great. Yeah. But, um, and also some ambiguity as well, perhaps, about whether this is something that's really happening or whether it's just something that's happening psychologically. Um, but in this movie's world, everything is quite literal. It's all really happening. Yeah, because it was interesting as well, because for the most part, this movie is rooted in reality. Mm. You know, there's a plague, there are knights, there's swords, yeah. there's a couple of dangerous wolves. <laughs> but for the most part, reality. Yeah. Until the last scene, where just things just... I don't get it. It's almost like when you watch From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. You think it's a normal movie and then suddenly vampires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But at least that was the point of that movie. I don't know what was happening here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think they had one kind of movie and then the producers watched it and thought, well, this isn't going to get us anywhere. And so all of the other stuff was thrown in at the last minute. Because if we talk about the demon that Claire Foy turns into, yeah. it doesn't look great. It's created by the Phil Tippett Studios, so the legendary industrial light and magic stop-motion animator who created Go Motion. So we saw his work in Dragon Slayer, another oh, medieval adventure, right. working on the dragons. As things moved into digital, he transitioned into that before he retired and created this digital animation studio so he could infuse digital animation with all of his, his knowledge gleaned from real-world practical animation. Oh, okay. But when I read the sort of behind the scenes of this he was referring to it as something that they came into really late in the game and had to replace somebody else's work so it feels like something where they had to do it in a rush and they did the best they could in the time that they could mm. and the end result is not great i i would have just preferred a standard witch yeah <laughs> like before yeah. she turned into the creature when she was full witch that's great I want more of that. Yeah, just with the weird face and sneering yeah. at people and being superhuman in terms of strength. Yeah, yeah, that would have worked. Do that. But no. It's called Season of the Witch. Yeah. So make her a witch. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why the scene was added at the beginning of the movie, because without that scene there, there wouldn't have actually been any witches in our oh, Season yeah. of the Witch movie. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, dear. So what about other production aspects? What, for example, did you think about the score by Atli Overson? I'm probably pronouncing that horribly, horribly wrong. He's an Icelandic film score composer. We've bumped into him before. He did the music for The Fourth Kind. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. I did not like the score for that. Um, no. This score, <laughs> this score was fine. There's nothing I could 
really critique about it. There was nothing outstanding about it. Mm. It was just standard fantasy score. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would, I would criticize it a little bit more because to me it sounded like all the things like you know a kid in a candy store it felt as though the producers said i want a choir i want a moaning woman i want a huge orchestra i want drums i want chanting i want everything mm. just thrown in there if there were themes i didn't hear them it was just desperate and overblown just like the editing just sort of overcompensating for a lack of actual substance yeah i feel like that comes from atlia overson's history with hans zimmer's remote control productions oh. they sort of revolutionized film scoring by creating this sort of machine processed orchestral sound that became very popular in the aughts i think remote control is a perfect name for it because it has that sense of it being machine made distant impersonal just press button <laughs> out comes movie music it's sort of the thing that could be replaced by ai now probably fairly convincingly sure, sure which is a shame sure. because he is actually a talented composer and you can hear that in the work that he's done for things like the defending jacob series on apple tv plus he's much more in that sort of johan johansson icy cold strings piano oh. sort of icelandic yeah yeah he did um the eurovision song contest movie oh yeah as well oh amazing with the amazing <laughs> songs so yeah he is actually a composer who's capable of doing interesting work but not when he's I don't know, just being called upon to churn out this kind of trash. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if it's anything like the fact that they reshot on green screen super quick, mm. I can imagine the scoring and the cues for this would have been the same. Possibly. We need this yesterday. And so he's just like, okay, cliche fantasy. Yeah. Here we come. Yeah. Nothing original. Just get it done. Yeah. And just lots of stuff happening but nothing you can hold on to which i think is pretty much the watchword for the whole movie <laughs> yeah i want to briefly talk about the accents oh yes <laughs> so i can dismiss nick cage and ron perlman you know they're the big stars of the show they don't have to try mm. but what does kai have an american accent yes why does the swindler <laughs> what's his name hagamar why does he have a Boston accent? Yes. He's not even an American actor. No. He's British. And and Robert Sheehan is Irish. Irish yeah, I what, know. Why not make the most of the actual accent? And I love that Robert Sheehan is doing a mid-Atlantic, I'm an American in a historical adventure movie trying to sound <laughs> vaguely English accent, which is quite an achievement. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's very keenly observed and well-placed. It sounds terrible, but uh, <laughs> I have no idea why he's doing it. Well, I actually, I do. I tell a lie. I've read that the director told everybody to do an American accent because really? in a lot of ways, people doing English accents in a medieval drama is just as false as them doing anything else. True. But it does sound weird. It's very difficult to believe Nick Cage wandering around saying, I'm a knight. Sounding like Nick Cage. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> it's like uh, the criticisms people have made about Bill Burr in The Mandalorian. When he's right. Because like, he's got the strongest... Is it a Boston accent? Yeah, yeah. And he's in space, <laughs> like... <laughs> I guess it's become just a standard. Fantasy world, medieval, everyone sounds English. 
It is, yeah, and sometimes they use different accents to give different cultural signifiers. So, for example, in Lord of the Rings, Gandalf sounds very sort of received pronunciation English, very posh, because mm. he's supposed to be a learned old man, whereas the Hobbits have got kind of a... Um, With country accent. Yeah, so that they sound more like, you know, working-class men of the land. Yeah, I remember watching a Bill Bailey stand-up mm. because he was thinking of auditioning for Lord of the Rings, but he thought he couldn't pull it off, that sort of accent and fantasy mm. but then finding out that the hobbits were just west country it's like oh should have just auditioned I just, yeah i have to just yeah. sound like i'm a rural guy picking apples or something <laughs> yeah, exactly he would have been perfect yeah yeah <laughs> coming to you live from the movie oubliette theater it's the prestigious movie awards It's the Moobly Awards where we don't blame witches for the plague, but instead nominate our favourite demonic parts of the film in the number of incantation-ridding categories. Best quote. I strongly suspect we will both pick the same quote. So it's one of those quips between Bayman and Felson, the old grizzled crusaders, and it's while they're on the crusade and there's a guy behind them shouting, kill all of the enemies of God. And Felson says... Do you ever get the feeling God has too many enemies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, all the equips were hilarious. My favourite was the first battle scene, actually, with Ron and Nick Cage. Um, and they're sort of betting on how many men they can kill. Oh, yes. And then Bayman says to Felson, I pity any man whose last face they see is yours, Felson. And then <laughs> Felson... <laughs> Pulls the goofiest grin. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> That's Ron Perlman, though. Again, he doesn't have enough time to make an impact in this movie because he's so good and mm. so effortlessly good. Yeah. But, yeah, not given enough screen time. Best hair or costume? I would say Nick Cage is here. Oh, yes, the, me too. The main. <laughs> the main. I, I don't think I've seen that main since Con Air. No. Uh, but it's uh, it's so majestic. It is, yes. And it's kind of a late 90s Kurt Cobain mid-neck length. It's sort of grungy, but with a perm. It looks quite high maintenance for being in the field on oh, a crusade. Yeah. But it seems to stay conditioned and lovely. So <laughs> well done to Nick Cage, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Bayman's born with it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Most 2010s moment. I thought this felt more like a noughties film to be honest i didn't find anything that was very 2010s about it i mean it was shot in 2009 after all okay yeah maybe the post j horror boom in moody girls glowering at men between strands of dark wet hair that's um, the only thing i could think of yes oh yes yeah mm. i i would point out the cgi it was just that mm. kind of Real crap. 2000s, 2000, early 2010s CGI. I hate it when they when they try to use dust to cover up things, mm. but the dust looks bad. Like the CGI <laughs> dust doesn't look good, and so it just doesn't work. Don't like it. Yeah, yeah, just digging a hole and it just gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Favourite scene! The only scene where I started to feel as though I cared a bit was the bridge crossing. Me which too. I think you mentioned. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you could see what was going on and there was yeah. actual peril. 
Uh, mm. Animals and just like rabid wolves. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It was, yeah. I mean, it didn't work perfectly well, I'll be honest, because I didn't really get that sense of you know the precipitous height that they were at or anything like this. It's You only really got that traditional shot of, you know, one of the boards on the bridge falling away sort of three quarters of the way through the sequence after two people had already fallen over the side and been pulled back up. So I never really got the sense of how much peril they were in. And then as soon as they were across, you didn't get the scene of them sort of gasping with relief as the rope bridge fell away. You just sort of cut to another scene. So that, yeah, that scene's done. Yeah, <laughs> I was actually surprised how sturdy that bridge was mm. as well, because it looked like no one should cross that bridge. Yeah. And they pull a whole cage across, a whole yeah. carriage. <laughs> Just pull it across. Yeah, why not? That's safe. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Those ropes look like if you sneezed, they'd go. Yeah. But apparently, you can push a whole horse and carriage yeah. over that thing. So yeah. That's lucky. <laughs> Most cliche fantasy moment. Uh, I will have to say, for cliche, uh, the bridge crossing scene. <laughs> <laughs> because... How many bridge crossing scenes are in action, adventure, fantasy movies? Every single one Mm. has to have one. Yep, yep. Even the Bridge of Khazad Doom in the first Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah, you have to cross a bridge. You have to at some point. And they're always (laughs) the least maintained as well. Yeah, poor bridge maintenance (laughs) in all fantasy movies. I thought probably the magical MacGuffin of the Key of Solomon, which, you know, it's even better because it's actually a spell book almost. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was probably the biggest cliche, but I did say yes, honourable mentions, crossing rickety bridge over gaping chasm, and also (laughs) placing bets on body counts just before a battle. That seemed to be quite popular. Yes. Yes. Um, ever since Legolas and Gimli did it in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Best special effect. My favourite special effect is the wolves because I love the fact that they morphed from normal scary dogs into slightly scarier dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Which I found hilarious. I was killing myself <laughs> laughing. It's like, why bother? It was just slightly scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they have the uh, accompanying sound effect as well, which is oh, just course. ridiculous. Like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how about you? What I've put the same thing. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, out of all the effects, they looked—they actually did look cool. They did. Like when they went yeah. into the full scary. Uh, way yeah. better than the end demon. Way better. Yeah, they did. Yeah, those wolves were pretty good. I mean, even when they were sort of stabbing them and the, they were sort of falling away limp after they'd been slashed with a sword, I thought, oh, that actually looks like a practical thing. But it wasn't. It's all CGI, mm. so... Right. Well done. Yeah. Favorite sound effect. You kind of briefly mentioned it. It's during the uh, the girl tries to escape scene, mm-hmm. and they're sort of wandering around this village, and I guess they're trying to build suspense or horror or something. Yeah. And so you've got like loud sounds that aren't actually anything dangerous. So a bunch of dried flowers make the loudest <laughs> crackling sound you've ever heard. <laughs> 
Oh my god. And then it's followed by a dead body just being dropped onto a wheelbarrow. And mm. it sounds like all of the body's bones just shattered. Like, it's <laughs> ridiculous. How are you, Conrad? Um, well, mine wasn't actually a sound specifically. It was a voice, and it was the demon's voice. Uh, but oh. it wasn't my favourite sound effect. It's actually my least favourite. I thought the demon's voice was really, really bad. I did too. <laughs> it wasn't scary or deep or resonant or powerful. It just sounded like a PlayStation 3 final boss. And oddly enough, it was voiced by a man named Kevin Killebrew, who was primarily a video game voice artist, oh. most famous for things like World of Warcraft. Oh. Uh, so there you go. This is his only movie credit. Oh, and there you okay. Go. Most funniest moment. My funniest scene was the wolf attack, oddly enough. Wow. Okay. Not, <laughs> not just because of the morphing between normal scary dog to slightly scarier dog yes. but just the sight of people trying to look heroic while they're hacking dogs to shreds it's just dog slaughter is not a good look and i particularly like nick cage doing that thing where he slashed one that was in front of him and then killed one that was behind him without even looking which is really cool when you're fighting a sentient being like a human but when you're fighting a dog does it matter that you can't see what's i i don't know the whole thing just had me in fits of hysterics throughout the whole thing i just thought yes yes there's lots of dogs being slaughtered this is what we wanted yeah yeah i know i know am i supposed to be rooting for the humans here <laughs> yes i know <laughs> very very poorly judged but there we go i thought that was hilarious funny scene for me I don't know why I found this funny. So Bayman and Felsen have entered this village and then they get exposed for being the deserters that they are. Uh, and then they're mm. confronted by these guards or soldiers or something. And they have a bit of a clash of swords. Mm. One of them starts shooting a crossbow at Nick Cage. And Nick Cage is just <laughs> swashing them like flies, like with a sword. It's like, yeah, that's not yeah. humanly possible. Why is this no. in this movie? <laughs> I know. That was hilarious. I did laugh a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's our movie award. <laughs> Hi, this is Lotta Lusten, and you're listening to Movie Obliet. Okay, it's time for us to pull out our swords and fight. For season of The Witch. <laughs> Final verdict time. Should it be released in all its winged demonic glory to be adored by all? Or should it be burnt at the stake and plunged into the river with stones in its pockets sinking to the bottom of the oubliette? Forgotten from the annals of 14th century European history. Mm. Conrad. Well, I don't think this will come as a surprise to you. But uh, yes, I did not enjoy this movie. I didn't hate it. It just didn't seem seem to make much of a lasting impression and although like Lady Hawk I really appreciated the outdoor photography the location shooting and it was nice to see Robert Sheehan in an early movie being as adorable as he always is I didn't really root for anyone I didn't really care and I couldn't really tell what was happening in any of the action scenes and there were only three of them anyway and then the movie <laughs> ended and the credits rolled and I thought mm, well that happened <laughs> at least it was only an hour and a half <laughs> yeah so I really hope Serge bless him who is 
is a huge fan of the show and, and we love having him listening along with us and we love having him as a guest. I really hope this isn't like a huge childhood favourite of his or something <laughs> for two reasons. One, if he was a child in 2011, I hate him. And, and two, I really don't want to offend him because uh, he's a great guy. But I'm sorry, this just didn't do anything for me. But maybe as a PG-13 introduction to fantasy and horror, this appealed Mm. but yeah. it didn't, didn't do anything yeah. for me. I mean, this was the second time I've watched this movie. The first time, I thought it was okay. Second time, I thought it was okay. Like, it's just <laughs> fine. Like, there's nothing amazing about it. It's not horrible at the same time. I think it no. would be a better movie without the reshoots and the crappy green screen. I wished mm. they'd kept Claire Foy as a witch at the end instead of this terrible cgi monster mm. but yeah the characters didn't care that they died just no. didn't even know who they were <laughs> half the time no <laughs> and then you end up with a character you thought was a witch and then an ultra boy that you barely really even saw mm. so i don't know and and i do feel <laughs> uh, the director he's done gone 60 seconds and swordfish both of those movies a lot of style not a lot of substance and it did kind of come across in this movie as well yeah and he hasn't directed a movie since and what does that tell you oh, <laughs> oh no it's 10 years ago and he hasn't had any work he may have retired quite blissfully who knows but yeah i am very sorry serge if you think this movie is the best movie you've ever seen but mm. i wouldn't recommend it to anyone but if someone no. put it on i would say it's okay. But I don't think that's enough for it to escape the oubliette. No, no never. <laughs> <laughs> so, Put it back down there. Indeed, yes. I just grabbed it by the wings. No, yeah. no, oh. it. Down you go. <laughs> <sighs> well, thanks, Serge, for being a patron and letting us yes. rip into your film. <laughs> I know. Please stay as a patron. <laughs> And if you would like to be a patron and recommend a movie for us to pull apart, <laughs> please head on over to Patreon for as little as a dollar you can nominate films for us to tear apart. <laughs> or love, you never know. We always mm. love discovering new things. That's why we're here. We love discovering undiscovered gems. And for $5, you'll get access to our mini-sodes, which include reviews of more recent films that we have seen, including our latest episode, which we'll talk about the vigil which we're very excited about yes yes uh, and if you want to keep up to date with all of our episodes or or talk to us you can follow us on all social media platforms facebook twitter and instagram as movie oubliette tell us how much you love season of the witch yes classic nick cage now, there are other Nick Cage movies that we should consider. <laughs> but we're also on email as movie.oubliette at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. And please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast platform you are using. Yes, cheers us up no end to know that there are people out there listening. <laughs> yes, yes, sure does. So what are we going to be doing next episode, Conrad? 
So next time, I thought we would go back to my favourite decade, the 80s,、mm. and also returning to science fiction, which we haven't done recently. So, in honour of Sean Connery, who passed last year at the ripe old age of 90, we will be looking at the 1981 British science fiction thriller Outland,、oh. another Peter Hyams movie. Yes, a lot of his movies are in the oubliette because although he's very busy and Prolific filmmaker. None of his films <laughs> seem to have reached sort of super heights of popularity. So this is the third one we've done, right? So we've done Capricorn One and The Relic. Yes, that's right. Yeah, number three. And we will have a special guest along for the ride with us. So that's very exciting. Bit of a James Bond fan, maybe. Yes, he is, but not of Sean Connery. Oddly enough, he shares my views on who is the best James Bond. All right. <laughs> so if you want to find out who that is, then you'll have to tune. Mm. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yes. Until next time. Bye for now. Goodbye. No man has spilled more blood in God's name than I. A benevolent God would not ask such things of man.